surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About It. This is your host, Taylor, and today we are getting into internalized white supremacy. That's right. Maybe take a deep breath. We are going to get deep into what white supremacy is, how it shows up, and how both people of color and white people, but mostly people of color, internalize and perpetuate white supremacy. I am so excited to have this guest on. Um, Jacqueline is a designer, an author, an educator, and a community healer. She has a bachelor's in social welfare and a master's in interaction design. She uses both of these to strategize around how to design products services and experiences that are diverse, inclusive, and equitable. She founded Making the Body a Home in 2020, which offers wellness courses that help individuals unpack racial conditioning and racial trauma. I personally have taken the Making a Home Making the Body a Home course for um, Black, Indigenous, and people of color. And it was very illuminating, very validating of some things I already knew, but also pointed out some new things to me. And I'm really hoping that as someone who is a white person listening to this, that you can hold some space, (laughs) that you can sit a little bit in whatever discomfort might come up and listen to what me and Jacqueline share as our truths. And I hope that as a uh, Black, Indigenous, or person of color, um, that as you listen, you feel validated in some of these experiences, that you maybe learn something new and and definitely check out um, Jacqueline's work as a um, as a resource, what, what, what she's creating, um, and taking, taking advantage of that, getting involved in that. Um, I think the topic today is going to be a bit <laughs> uncomfortable and hard to process at times, but hopefully you listen with an open ears, open mind, open heart, um, all the, all the openness as usual. Um, just want to thank everyone for continuing to listen to this podcast, for continuing to support the work that I want to do here in social justice and um, which honestly I include all the things, environmental justice, um, all of, all of the things. So thank you for being here. I appreciate you and I don't at all take for granted having the space to have these conversations like this that are so, so very needed. Um, so without any further, let's talk about it. All right. Welcome Jacqueline to the show. Thank you so, so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to sort of dive into this conversation today. Yeah, same. It's um, a conversation that I don't think has had a lot. And I think there's also a lot of pieces about this that are confusing, that are uncomfortable, that feel really intimidating. Yeah, absolutely. I think in general, like when it comes to internalized racism, it's 
a lot easier to just talk about racism institutionally or like mm-hmm. what we see, but in general across the board, actually looking inwards is that's mm-hmm. where it gets really tricky. Um, but it's a really important conversation because it's people who are creating this system. So exactly. Yes. Like it's helpful to zoom out and, you know, critique the system, right. And, and acknowledge that piece, but also we have to have an understanding that like all the individuals make up the systems. Right. Um, so it's Absolutely. kind of like this, you know, top down <laughs> versus, uh, or what is it? Bottom up versus up down. Right. <laughs> um, <Exactly. laughs> yeah. Kind of perspective. Um, before we get into, you know, what internalized white supremacy is, um, how people uphold this, how to unpack it. I would love mm-hmm. to hear a little bit of like your own personal, uh, process as to how you got to this work, um, yeah. and how you, you know, got to creating, making the body a home and, um, mm-hmm. doing this kind of work. Yeah, so I was raised in France, and so it was, yeah, it wasn't diverse, obviously, like, there were, like, Mm -hmm. three Black people in my school, Um, and pretty much from, like, kindergarten to, like, obviously now, but, like, from kindergarten to, like, 12th grade, um, there were just, like, a slew of experiences from teachers, from students, like, Mm -hmm. neighbors, um, and, like, there was no space base obviously like when you're really young you just you don't really know what's going on but you can tell you're being treated differently Mm -hmm. um and then there's no space to like affirm your identity like whether that's in the media or books or like dolls that you have and so there were just so many experiences that I was taking in but like something always felt like wrong like there was always this feeling of like I know I shouldn't be treated this way, but I don't have the language. Like, I don't have the words. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't understand what this is. And also, like, that experience of, like, going into puberty and, like, being surrounded by white people and also just feeling like, wow, like, it seems like no Black women are viewed as attractive. Like, all the Black people are getting Mm -hmm. bullied. And so you get into this space of kind of, like, I shouldn't be treated this way, but also, like, if I was someone else... I wouldn't have Mm -hmm. this experience. And so, and I have this conversation a lot with my friends of just like that constant like tug of war and just trying to like affirm yourself, but also wishing you weren't treated that way. And in order to do that, you have to literally like let go of parts of yourself, which is obviously very damaging. Um, But like, that was something that I would say around middle school, like I was dealing with. And then when I got to high school, like I started to be just sort of like very vocal about, things that weren't right and obviously like I didn't have many allies because most of the people were white (laughs) um and yeah like even I think it was just yeah it was a very difficult space to navigate and Mm -hmm. then I feel like when I went to college um so I moved to the U.S. I went to college and I studied social welfare which was it's like a mixture of like sociology and psychology um but a lot of the classes I took were focused on um, like racism on like multiple levels. And like, I like felt, I was like, oh my gosh, like this feels so good to just like read these things and like learn about these things and like finally have the language. And also like the school I went to was also just a lot more diverse. Like there were a lot more black people and just Mm -hmm. like other people of color. And so it was a lot more affirming. I felt so much more comfortable to sort of like 
be able to talk about these issues without receiving some sort of backlash. Um, And it also just, I became really interested in racism on all levels, but also internalized racism and like how that impacts people's mental health um, and, and how that shows up. Um, And specifically, I, I feel like, I don't know. It depends, but I feel like a lot of mm-hmm. um, black people have a very good idea of like how white folks have internalized white supremacy. Um, mm-hmm. But then it becomes taboo to start talking about like colorism or like, how are we? Are so-, so it's very mm-hmm. interesting. And I, and I also understand why, because we don't want to, um, there's like a careful line of like not wanting to victim blame. And so I feel like folks are like, let's just focus on that. Um, And I get that, but it's like, we're also harming ourselves and our communities in the process of like, Mm -hmm. obviously perpetuating what we've been taught. And I don't think it's our fault, but I think we have an opportunity to unlearn that. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was, I got into that um, and it's been really empowering. It's also been really empowering to be able to like, to sort of put out what I've learned and like my personal experiences out there mm-hmm. and like see how people are responding to that. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is just like lived experience and just sort of like, what are the things that I wish that I knew when I was growing up? Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's how I sort of started to, to put this work out there. Yeah. All right. I want to take a short break right here um, just to talk about a piece of, you know, how we can nourish ourselves as we talk about internalizing white supremacy and all the the weight that that can that that can carry on us um so i want to share uh balessa boutique for those of you that don't know balessa is a sex toy store bboutique.co and they're the number one rated sex toy store on google they are one of my absolute favorite favorite brands um they have a new toy in the Discreet series, and it is so cute. It comes in a cute little compact makeup-looking case, but really it's like the toy. It's a, um, It simulates your clit, um, and it's amazing. Uh, but it fits right into this little clamshell makeup compact-looking case, and it charges from the outside of the case. So it can be charging, and it's not just like you have this, you know, big old toy sitting on your dresser <laughs> getting charged. Um, um, it's just in its nice little compact case and hence the discreet, uh, the discretion. Um, so I highly encourage y'all to check it out. It is waterproof. Um, I personally own it and use it on a regular basis. Uh, they have the air vibe and the discreet air. Um, so it's a little bit different in terms of how it stimulates your clip, but both are fantastic. And I want to share with all of you lovely listeners that you can get 15% off of all sex toys at B Boutique and free U.S. shipping with the code TAYLOR15. That's B-B-O-U-T-I-Q-U-E dot C-O. And get 15% off and free U.S. shipping with the code TAYLOR15. And I mean, honestly, I don't think... Uh, don't think it gets much much better than like owning the same vibrator as, as Cardi B because Cardi B like loves Balesa toys as well. So <laughs> listen, try, if you don't want to listen to me, trust the trust the WAP queen then. Um, but with all of that said, I hope you guys check them out because I absolutely love Balesa and 
their partnership here. So with all that, we can now get back to the show. Well, so much of that, I just like resonates with me, like especially middle school, um, not having the language, but knowing something was, wasn't right. But then also feeling like, oh, well, this seems like it's normal. This seems like it's just okay. Even though I feel okay, everything else around me is reinforcing that I am different and I am kind of wrong. And that's why I'm being treated this way. I just don't know how to talk about it. Um, all that makes total sense to me. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I think that's something that I don't know, like so many of us go through, but there's just no, and I think that's what, like, I was just like, we need to talk about racial trauma, like a Mm -hmm. lot more because I'm just like, so many of us are going through this and like, also I think especially like if you're if you do grow up in like a predominantly white environment there's like it's like damned if you do damned if you don't it's like oh like you're not black enough or like yeah absolutely wasn't black because I listened to certain types of music and then like in other senses it's like you're too black and like I don't know it was just like at like at some point I was just like I don't even it's not even anything I'm doing. It's just the fact that I'm black. Yeah. And like, yeah, I mean, if Absolutely. people were more straight up about that, that would be, I don't know. But yeah, it was definitely, um, it's something that's really hard to navigate. And so I'm glad that like more people are talking about it now, mm-hmm. um, but there's still so much work to do. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, it's, it's interesting to hear you uh, kind of share the, you know, damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of feeling. I think, you know, over the last like five years, um, as I've gotten closer with uh, the black side of my family, as I've gotten closer with my chosen family, who's black, mm-hmm. um, I, as a mixed race black woman, have always felt and had those experiences, right? Of like, well, mm-hmm. you're too black, you're not black enough. And right hearing that other, you know, non-mixed race, uh, monoracial, uh, black women deal with that as well felt so affirming in my blackness of like, Uh yeah, I may question that sometimes like, do I belong here? Can I claim this identity? Right. But then also hearing from the black people in my life, right. That like, you're having a black experience even in that. Um, yeah. but also just goes to show, you know, the racial, the social construct of race, um, is not very helpful to right. any of us. Um, yeah. and the, the concern of, I, I'm glad that you kind of said this because I did want to bring it up as we talked about this. I've often felt very concerned, very wary is the word I'll mm-hmm. use to discuss when a person of color upholds white supremacy Mm. or is acting in a way um, that shows they've internalized white supremacy because often you see that that is a little glimmer for white people to grab onto, to deflect and invalidate and ignore any mm-hmm. of their participation in this to say, see, it's on you. And right. I think you're right. It is important to still address because it does impact the community. Um, and I I'm, just recently took a course um, 
this is like a workshop with Sonia Renee Taylor and she put the label to it. She said, uh, victimized violator. And Mm. that's where I'm like, Oh, yep. That resonates. Like Mm -hmm. you are a part of the systems in which you are a victim and you have been hurt and oppressed and silenced and traumatized yet you also perpetuate harm within your community, outside of your community, because you have internalized those things. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, it can be a a tough pill to swallow or even just to recognize, like Mm -hmm. as, as we sort of go through this journey, just like recognizing the areas in our life where we have internalized this. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's so like white supremacy is just so pervasive that it's, Mm -hmm. it's incredibly difficult to not have internalized it. I I guess at any point in your life for anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, And so. And I want to get into that. Yeah. We can, yeah, you can get into it. But I have a lot. (laughs) I I really want to get into that piece because when I started your course, uh, so you started making the body and home and there's courses on unpacking um, internalized white supremacy, um, both mm-hmm. for people within the BIPOC community and white people. And um, as I went through it, obviously there's so many things here I'll bring up from it. But um, one thing that I really thought was important to note was in that um, you noted that while the system is called white supremacy. It's a system that's rooted in deep insecurity. Mm -hmm. And you know that that internalized racism can operate outside of our consciousness because it is all around us. We inhale it like oxygen. Right. Exactly. And I think that's something for me that I'm like, we don't necessarily have a choice. It's hard to like, Mm -hmm. so I don't know if that's even the wrong word to use, but like, yes, like it's everywhere. No, I always say people. I didn't consent to being born into a patriarchal right. supremacist exactly. society. I didn't consent exactly. to that. And, and, and I've read somewhere, I, I don't remember who wrote it, but I read something about um, how like white supremacy is, it's something that's literally like injected into us. Like we don't have mm-hmm. a choice necessarily. Um, and so that's why it's difficult, but like, I think it's also important that like we don't allow white folks to weaponize that to say Mm -hmm. like, you know, reverse racism, everyone's racist. Like I, especially when it's used as a tool to just deflect from the work that they have to do. Um, Mm -hmm. And there is the relationship is different. Like this is a relationship between someone who is upholding the system and benefits from the system and someone who is a victim of the system. Um, and so we can't treat the unlearning process the same. Um, and I don't think the burden is the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that the Black community and other communities of color don't have work to do to sort of unlearn that and unpack that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if anything... But I also it... think... Sorry, oh, sorry. <laughs> no, I, I also just think it's very difficult. So originally, like, I started making The Body a Home... Um, just for like black indigenous and people of color. Um, And then I decided to create the course for white folks because I just felt like 
a part of me feels like no matter how much work that we do, if white people are not willing to dismantle that, we will still continuously be harmed. We will still continuously be in this space mm-hmm. where white supremacy is being pushed onto us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the work needs to be done in tandem. And so, yeah. Yeah. It's no, I, <laughs> yeah, the work does need to be done in tandem. And I think, I hope maybe for anyone who is white listening to this, that understanding where people of color also can uphold this system helps maybe helps maybe give give some validity or some increased value on mm. when people of color do speak up about you know uh going against white supremacy about how to be anti-racist right that like mm-hmm. in order to even do that work we probably have had to go through our own shit of right. like <laughs> how how this has impacted us um yeah. how we have upheld it to then ask you how you can do better um right. because yeah it is a thing uh, that you said we inhale it like oxygen All right, I want to take a short break right here. Again, I've got another amazing resource for y'all to help with your self-nourishment and to help, you know, maybe bring some sexy vibes into your life. I know today's episode isn't very sexy, but you're still deserving of pleasure and deserving of exploring the sexiness within you. So I want to share with you guys Dipsy, which is an audio app full of short, sexy stories designed to turn you on. And they will do just that. Uh, You can listen to a plethora of stories, like any kind of story that you can imagine, they probably have it. They release new content every week. So there's always something to explore no matter what you're into no matter what turns you on um and if you do just need to kind of wind down dipsy also has a wellness sessions um, section with sensual bedtime stories and soundscapes that can help just really help you relax before you drift off you know maybe you're not ready to get into some sexy time but you want something you know just a little sensual (laughs) to help you know lower your cortisol levels and just get you uh get you ready. So for listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com/taylor. 30 days is a, a lot of days to listen to so many different kinds of sexy short audio stories. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dip s e a stories.com slash Taylor. Again, that's dipsystories.com slash Taylor. Be sure to check them out and give yourself a little nice listening, you know, just like unwind and relax a little bit, escape, escape the stress of the world and dip into something a little sensual and sexy. So be sure to check them out. And I hope you guys um, take advantage of that resource. And now with all that, we can get back to the show. So I want to go through a little bit, you know, as we're talking just about like white supremacy, um, what this actually looks like uh, in practice and going through your course. I mean, you listed this out so wonderfully. Like I was like, oh, yep, she hit it right there. Oh, yep, that too. Yep. Um, (laughs) And there were some that I was even kind of like, oh, like not until recently did I learn that this was a part of how white supremacy you know, holds power. And one of those was um, white power hoarding. 
um, mm. and how that shows up in um, internalized uh, characteristic or um, in an yeah. upholding way with this scarcity mindset. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about power, white power hoarding? Yeah. I mean, the basis of, I would say, white supremacy is just like it has been propped up by exploiting and mm-hmm. by um, not only extracting, but just hoarding. Like it's a hoarding of resources. It's a hoarding of, of people and their bodies and just everything um, in order to sustain itself. And so white power hoarding <laughs> is something that shows up a lot in many different spaces, especially in the workplace. Like, conversations that I have with, with other, um, black women specifically is when you're trying to even just sort of make your way up or just sort of, I don't know, just like thrive in the workplace. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to be met with other people of color who sort of have this scarcity mindset of there Mm -hmm. can only be one of us, which is also tied to white supremacy because they tell us there can only be one of you and there can be 10,000 of us in this, in this office. And then it's like, well, see, look, there is the one of you see. So there's no more problems. Right. Exactly. Obama's president. Aren't you happy? Right. And so it's done. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But then, yeah, the problem with that is like another person of color comes into the workspace and it becomes a competition between the two where that in itself is not the issue. Like the issue Mm -hmm. is there's, 50 white people and two people of color and why are we both at the bottom battling for the scraps and Mm -hmm. so that's one way it shows up um but also just in other ways when it comes to sort of like being in community and just sort of like this a culture of like collectivism is not something that white supremacy is built on like white supremacy Mm -hmm. is a very individualistic mindset um, and that's also like obviously propped up by capitalism, but like, yeah. especially in the U S um, it's all just about me, me, me. And, and you can see mm-hmm. that a lot with how a lot of communities of color can also, especially like immigrant families, like it's very difficult, um, to sort of, it's like, I have to make it. Mm-hmm. And so I will do whatever it takes to make it. And I can't sh- share whatever resources I use to make it because like, this was just really, I don't know. It's like mm-hmm. white supremacy creates all these obstacles that it's like, we feel like we can't even work together to sort of make it through. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot there. I mean, I think moving to a culture of sort of power sharing is really important. And I've seen more folks do that, like, especially with like mutual aid work that we do and just mm-hmm. sort of being open to like, sharing what we know and sharing what we love like that in itself is it goes against the grains of white supremacy and I think that's really important Mm -hmm. um but being able to bridge that gap and also being able to ensure that like non-black communities of color don't also perpetuate anti-blackness within these spaces and how that shows up with power hoarding is like also a whole other conversation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's there's a lot there. Yeah. Yeah. One of, um, through that, there were some questions, uh, that I had to reflect on. Um, 
you know, of like, if you see another uh, BIPOC person, um, you know, experience success, you know, do you feel jealous? You know, like what comes up for you when you see that? Um, and I'm glad that you talked about that only one of us can make it dynamic. Cause I literally had that like in bold and like starred in my, in my notes yeah. from the, from the class, because yeah, it does create tension. And I think even in my own reflection of that, then it's also like, typically when you are seeing a person of color, uh, achieve some kind of that success within the dynamic of uh, white power, typically that is also due to colorism and of having some kind of, uh, you know, white privilege in some way um, yeah. to where I'm like, oh yeah, like, you know, that's something definitely to re- reflect on and, um, yeah. and be mindful of. Um, and yeah. I found it so crucial this noting of where capitalism is essentially rooted in, in racism. The fact that our, our country as a whole, um, you know, was built literally on racism through capitalism, which then created this power hoarding. (laughs) Um, If we look at the top richest people in the world, right? Like, how literally they've been able to exploit their workers through capitalism through many of which are black and brown people. Yeah. And like across the globe too, it's really impacted Mm -hmm. so much of the way the world looks today. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I mean, power hoarding is just, it's such a, it's so deep rooted that I, even as I was actually like, creating that that course like there were moments where I was like wow like this is something that I need to reflect on um Mm -hmm. and that has also been an interesting process for me just like having something out there that I can like tangibly see is just like an important reminder for me and so now it's like Mm -hmm. if I notice feelings coming up I can just sort of like note them very quickly and just like Mm -hmm. nah like that's not that's not me that's white supremacy so let's just Mm -hmm. cut it out Yeah. yeah Well, this next one, definitely, I was like, (laughs) I'm in all caps here, triggered, Um, because as I went through this, I was like, oh, yeah, no, that's totally, and very much in relation to uh, capitalism and to white power hoarding was white extraction, Mm. uh, which leads to this sense of, like, overworking. Yeah. Um, And wondering if you can speak to that a little bit and then I, I want to share a little bit of what my my reflection was here on that yeah I mean yeah I mean as we mentioned before like this this culture of exploitation of of black and brown bodies has been ingrained into all of us um mm-hmm. and I like grind culture and just like we gotta make like it's just especially as people of color, like there's this idea that like we just work really hard and like exploit ourselves the Mm -hmm. way we've been exploited. Like we can make it even though like, no, like if society was actually based on how hard you work, like black and brown people would be the wealthiest. And so that's not Mm -hmm. the case. Um, And so there's been a lot of unlearning that um, I've had to do also, I don't know if you followed the Nat ministry, um, but they post really amazing stuff about just sort of how like rest 
text is such a, a revolutionary act, like especially mm-hmm. for communities of color. Um, but I found myself within the past two years just being so much more intentional about like not allowing myself to be exploited or not exploiting myself and not overworking mm-hmm. um, because it's just not worth it. <laughs> and obviously it's, it's easier said than done. Um, but being able to, I would say, make note of like some of the telltale signs of when mm-hmm. it's happening, like especially in the workplace um, has been like really critical for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I hear stories all the time and like I have these conversations. It's like, we're constantly just go, go, go. And like, honestly, like we weren't meant to live this way. Like that's not, it's not natural. Mm-hmm. Um, but then building a society that doesn't look like that um, is something that I don't know that we have enough conversations about in terms of like, how do we, how do we reimagine? Um, mm-hmm. And and what would it even take to d- dismantle this culture of extraction and dismantle capitalism? Like there's mm-hmm. a lot there. Um, but I think it's something that needs to happen. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That reminds me, um, literally so much of, uh, this other course that I'm taking, um, this lecture series is also very much in relation to this, but, um, where Sonia says that, uh, white supremacy first is like a delusion, but also mm-hmm. a failure of the imagination. Absolutely. Um, so when you say that, just coming up for me of, yeah, yeah. it's a, a failure to imagine what what other people can be, what other people can do, yeah. how the society can look. Um, and you mentioned the workplace, and I think a huge place where I see this, you know, exploitation of uh, Black, Brown, and uh, other people of color um, is also on social media. Um, and, and just media in general, right. Where black culture is appropriated, where content is essentially stolen. Um, and this really stuck out to me. Um, you said it sends the false message that our value is derived from what we can do for the oppressor. And I said, I said, Oh, yep. Um, especially <laughs> it really hit me. I was like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that that showed up in other ways throughout my life, like growing up. Um, but especially the last 12 months on social mm. media. Um, mm. And I, I talked about this in the past episode um, with my friend Les, but where we were essentially like, you know, oh, now we have even more white people following us because they feel like they can now be educated by hearing our experiences. So it (laughs) it constantly felt like, okay, how can I start, how can I provide a service on this social media Mm -hmm. platform? How do I, you know, provide these people with something that will be beneficial, that will be helpful. Meanwhile, acting out of racial trauma um, yeah. upholding, right, white supremacy with this constant need to deliver, constant need to work, constant need to create, to constant need to be a benefit to the oppressor as mm-hmm. you're get as you're getting met with invalidation, with tone policing, with microaggressions. But I was just like, ooh, 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I'm really glad you brought that up because <laughs> I think that's definitely something that I've seen a lot in general in the last 12 months. Um, mm. And I just like, I think like last June when I, I started to notice it, I, I had to be very clear about what my social media page was about. Like I literally had to say like, this is a space for black indigenous and people of color. Like if you're a white person, that's like here to learn, that's fine. But I'm not going to be putting out content specifically for you because I feel like it's very easy to get into that trap. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's, and it's, yeah. And so for me, I was just like, I can't, um, I'm not, first of all, I'm not a resource, which like is something Mm -hmm. that a lot of folks have been calling me like, follow this resource. Like, no, I'm a human being. Um, And I'm Mm -hmm. like creating resources for communities of color to heal. Um, And if you are someone who's not person of color who happens to learn from that, like that's great, Mm -hmm. but I'm not going to overwork or exploit myself for your benefit. Like that's Mm -hmm. just not, it's not something that that I plan to do. Um, yeah, yeah. But like, it's very easy to kind of like get trapped in that and also to get trapped in like the cycle of just um, like black, black trauma specifically as something that's like, I don't even know what the word would be, but I feel like black trauma like sells. And that's mm-hmm. something that's been a very, just like, weird thing to to see um but also like how do BIPOC sort of like play into that and and how are we sort of like continuing to sort of just sort of like feed into Mm -hmm. white supremacy in all these different ways um and so it's like a constant just like self-check um Mm -hmm. that think that I think needs to be done and I do think that like Yes, like white people obviously do need to be educated, but um, it, and I, I've said this before, but it's like, I I don't think that like black people especially should dehumanize ourselves in the process of trying to humanize another community. Like that just doesn't make sense. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think... I have wanted to do that for a long time of getting really specific about that space. And, you know, the petty in me is like, I want to just put my bio, like if you're white, prepare to be triggered because just who I am in my existence, if I'm not even talking about race, I'm going to trigger you. Yeah. Um, And like, absolutely. You should. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm here for that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate the support. I'm too scared to do it. Um, But it's this weird, you know, realization that as I'm overworking myself, as I'm overextending myself in the Mm. midst of trauma, that as I'm speaking about things like white supremacy, as I'm trying to, you know, help walk people along, as I'm trying to fight for my own, like, existence, that I'm also upholding and showing my internalized white supremacy Mm. it's a wild thing it's yeah it's wild 
it's a lot how all the pieces just sort of come together. I'm constantly just like, and I think, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the point. Like it's supposed to be that pervasive that yeah, you can't get, or like you feel like you can't get out of it or you don't mm-hmm. know how, or you don't yeah. see it. Yeah. Well, and another point here, um, self-policing. Um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> you felt that. <laughs> yeah. That was, I mean, I think all of us have like, a, well, not all of us, but I would say most of us have like a police in our head. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, especially for BIPOC, like that, that police is a white person who, cause we're, it's again, like from, if from like a very young age, like you're taught this specific thing, um, a lot of what, a lot of how you see yourself and a lot of how you see people that look like you is going to come from like this white supremacist voice, whether that's mm-hmm. like, I don't like how I look or like, you know, I wish my hair was like long and straight or like, I'm not smart enough to be in this space or I don't deserve to be in this space or my voice doesn't matter. Like just sort of taking a second to pause and think about like, where are these messages coming from? Mm -hmm. Um, I think is really important. Um, I love, Mm -hmm. and like everyone always talks about um, different I don't know, Malcolm X quotes, but I really love um, his speech where he's like, who taught you to hate yourself? Like, it's so simple, but it's just like, literally, like, who taught you to hate yourself? Um, And is that someone that you want to be listening to? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's something that I I think we constantly have to reevaluate and constantly have to be asking ourselves. Um, And it's very difficult, but I feel like that is something that has helped me so much and just sort of like... Mm -hmm being able to show up as my full self and feel comfortable and showing up as my full self um, because all the rest of it is just a lie. Like it's a delusion. Yeah. 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 I'd love to hear how I guess self-policing has showed up in your life. Yeah. Well, this, this might get a little deep right now. Um, so something already the last few years I've been kind of processing, um, in therapy, but especially the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the self-policing is essentially how I uphold white supremacy through the lens of white innocence. Um, mm-hmm. and there was a piece in the course, um, white women using tears as a weapon to harm mm-hmm. or punish BIPOC, um, mm-hmm. black women viewed as hard, tough, angry black women, more cares given to white people's feelings and tears than BIPOC feelings and tears. Yeah. BIPOC are guilty until proven innocent while white people are innocent until proven guilty. All of that, all of that. Yeah. I was like, this is me and my mom. Yeah. Um, white mom, black dad, um, all of it. I was like, that is exactly how I show up. That is how I'm perceived. Um, you know, the white, the more care is given to white people's feelings and tears than BIPOC feelings and tears. I'm like, that's been, you know, 
me and my mom have a tough conversation and I'm really hurt and upset or I'm sharing something, you know, hey, when you tell me that you like it so much better when I straighten my hair that like I look so pretty with my hair straightened that really hurts my feelings actually and like feels very anti my blackness. Um, Her getting very defensive and very like it's a compliment and I mean it like that and her being really upset and then you know like my white stepdad then you know being like oh Taylor you know don't make your mom like angry like that you know like every argument then turns into like oh well now I'm the bad person because even though I'm the one that's hurt right now now it's my mom is crying yeah so (laughs) that's yeah that's I think out of all of the the pieces in that course, like the white innocence one was like the most difficult. Um, and I think across the board, like even when I have conversations with other folks, like white innocence, especially like if it's something that like you're young and then you witness that and experience that and obviously it continues into your old, like that trips you up because mm-hmm. it's like, hold on. (laughs) Like my tears don't matter. Like I don't, what is happening here? And then also just what you mentioned about the, the way that the roles get switched Mm -hmm. is very damaging. I would say, um, because yeah, it's very easy to internalize that. And it's very easy to, um, feel like no one has your back. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's also like, I do have some friends who have sort of been like, you know, the reason why I'm tough is because no one, no one has had my back as a black woman. Like I have to be tough. Literally, Um, exactly. I wasn't born that way. Like, (laughs) you know, it's like, if I cry, no one cares. So I guess I have to toughen up. Um, Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that is, that in itself is just part of, the dehumanization like that in itself is part of the structures that literally tell us like you know if you're white you are the the pinnacle of humanity and if you're black you're just you're subhuman and and I think Mm -hmm. so many people don't even realize how much like anti-blackness they have even in the way that they are unable to be empathetic to black people and and that's something that we see all the time. Um, Mm. but even in like interactions that, that happen every, even if, even in the ways that people are able to show up for, um, issues related to anti-blackness and then show up for issues related to like racism that other communities are facing. Like Mm -hmm. it's very easy to see the differences in empathy. And I think there needs to be more internal reflection about that. Um, Mm. Yeah. especially like within friendship or family settings, because that is mm-hmm. ideally a space where you want to feel safe. Um, but yeah, people just like, there's just so much anti-blackness and people don't even realize. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so much of, you know, I don't like talking about it and so I won't get super into it. And I honestly don't, want to even name it, but, you know, my experience on, on the show speaks a lot to this dynamic of, of white innocence as well. Um, and I think it does for a majority of the women of color that end up on the show, even if it's not from the editing or from, you know, the storylines that are told or the casting, but it's from the fan base. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. but 
you know, even, even as you talk about that within, within friendships, within family, like that is so important. And I think where it's really hit me throughout my life is majority of my friends throughout my life have been white. And Mm -hmm. as I have came into my wholeness, right. As I have kind of worked to, unpack my vulnerability and truly just show up as I am and not be trying to tend to, you know, all of the whiteness and and the norm, the normative shit. Um, It's, it's really fucked with some friendships too. And recognizing where um, came up in um, mixed in America, they held a, a group and so it was with, other mixed women, but I think this probably reigns true for, um, for, you know, other black indigenous people of color, um, who are in friendship with white people that you kind of play this role of like being the hype girl of being like the, you know, everything about that person. Like you are there for them. Like they feel like you are their best friend, and, when you need them. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the, like, like maybe the one time that you need them when it comes to speaking up to validate your existence, right? When it comes mm-hmm. to actually holding space for those conversa- conversations, they don't understand you. Mm-hmm. They don't care. Their white innocence is held to more um, value or importance. And that then ends up being what you end up protecting sometimes through the gaslighting, through the feeling like, you know, Oh, well, okay. Yeah. I guess this is really hard for them right now when it's like, Mm -hmm. hold on. What? Yeah. (laughs) No, I, yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's that actually, and I'm, I think the friend dynamic, especially, is something that's like very interesting um, because, and also, even like within the school setting, how mm. I think teachers protect that. Like, there were several experiences that I had when it came to like friend dynamics, where it's like the perpetrator was someone who was white and did something racist, but then like then they start crying and then the teacher is like, Oh, Jacqueline, you like, what did you do? And I'm just mm-hmm. like, excuse me. Like, <laughs> and like that in itself, like how just, it's so interesting how like, um, there's just so many layers that sort of protect that white innocence. There's mm-hmm. so many different like moving pieces. Um, and it's just so harmful and it doesn't ever create a space where white people can be held accountable. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't even, like, even when I think about, like, white tears and all of that, like, I don't even really agree with the term white fragility anymore because I think Mm -hmm. that even plays into this idea of white innocence and, like, oh, like, you're fragile. And I'm just, like, we need to stop that. I really think we need to stop that. (laughs) That hit right there. Yep. Yeah. 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 It does. Like, how, why are you fragile? No, I just, yeah. And I, I mean, strong black women. Right. 
I don't, I mean, there's a lot I have to say about that, but maybe I shouldn't get it. <laughs> yeah. It, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm wondering here, this, how we maybe don't protect white innocence, right? How we maybe, um, because it, it shows up in that self-policing, right? So maybe we're not policing ourselves as much, but then it's like, how mm. can we then not be upholding um, this dynamic uh, action? I don't even know what to call it, but presentation of white innocence, because I feel like that also plays into um, another part that you talk about of white civility, um, mm-hmm. right? Of what it means to be like proper and like professional okay. and polite and yeah. acceptable. And especially for women. Um, and I feel like there isn't space for us to go against that, which, I mean, I guess that that is accurate because that's how things are built for there not to be space for that. So then it's like, we have to make space. And I think that's so terrifying because it's not safe. Yeah. Like literally you could lose your life. You could lose your job. You could lose your family. You could lose your friends, right? Like if you aren't, playing into some of these things it's scary yeah um it is very scary and I think that was honestly like a lot of like my I would say high school experiences um where there was tension was because I just didn't play into it I was Mm -hmm. just like no, like, this is not, this isn't, (laughs) this doesn't make sense. Like I, and, and it does sort of put you in a position where you are demonized, but I'm also Mm -hmm. like, you're going to be demonized anyways. And so you might as well, (laughs) it's not about what you do. It's just about who you are. Like, that's how the system works. And that also ties into this, like, damned if you do, damned if you don't. And so especially when it comes to like white civility, just like taking Mm -hmm. steps to to just show up as ourselves every day. And it's hard. Um, Mm -hmm. But like, I have friends who just sort of like they wear do rags to their zoom work meetings and just like little things that are just like, Mm -hmm. no, like all these standards of what it means to be a human are based on whiteness and I'm not white. And so this doesn't apply to me. Like y'all can do what you want to do. Um, but this isn't something that applies to me and it's also extremely harmful. Um, and I think I'm glad to see that there's a lot more, at least like when it comes to like hair discrimination, like Mm -hmm. there's some more movement, I would say on the policy side. Um, but just like the lengths that like society goes to like demonize mm-hmm. blackness is yeah it's so telling that it's just you you there's nothing that you can't do that won't get you in trouble and so you might as well do be who you are and do whatever it is that makes you feel happy um yeah, it's good trouble <laughs> yeah exactly um mm-hmm. but it is yeah it's again it's easier said than done and like it, yeah. it helps to have allies in this space um mm-hmm. to to sort of be able to help you also feel comfortable to do that and I know not everyone has that in certain mm-hmm. spaces that they're in um and so sometimes it's also just if you can like 
removing yourself from that space. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had, like, I know some folks who just like, they just had to, especially like last summer, like they just, I can't be friends with any of yeah. y'all anymore. And like mm-hmm. realizing how much friend, the friendships impacted their mental health and like exacerbated yes. their racial trauma. Um, and I think that was something that was so, I don't even know what the word would be. Like it felt really interesting, like receiving messages from like hundreds of people who were just like, I like literally I'm constantly bullied in my friend group or like mm-hmm. my partner is racist or like all of these yeah. different things and like all of these different dynamics that were just like continuously sort of um, mm-hmm. living in and, and just seeing people be like, maybe I don't have to be friends with these people as hard as it is. Um, Cause like, obviously there's going to be like a grief process, whatever mm-hmm. that looks like, but yeah, what does it look like to find safe spaces and who can I find safe spaces in so that like I can be my full self and not be like harassed or like mm-hmm. have racial jokes be made about me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> those really uncomfortable micro microaggressions about your skin or about your hair, like right. those, yeah, I think. And for some, for some people, you know, I think you mentioned it being a grieving process. And I think for some folks that's still happening today, yeah. like I think over the last 12 months, I mean, even just in my own personal life of friendships yeah. feeling like, you know, you're trying, you're trying really hard. You're trying to give grace. You're trying to give, right. you know, uh, the actual friendship pieces. So you're trying to hold space for like, it's hard for them. But then at the same time, it's like, you know, things come up again, every other day. And it's like continuously showing you. Um, yeah. There was a piece that you said of uh, white civility does not fulfill us because it is meant to abandon us. Right. Which really hit me. And I think, yeah, in a way <laughs> felt like giving permission to like, fuck it, burn it all down. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like it's, it's, it was built that way. And I, mm-hmm. and I think I just, I like, we need to understand, we need, we really need to understand that. Like, it's not meant to fulfill us. Like we're meant to be feeling mm-hmm. empty and deprived. Of course, if we all moved about the world with our full selves, we would be able to come together and reimagine what society would look like. And white supremacy mm-hmm. does not want that. Um, and so, yeah. Mm. There's so much here. There's so much here. Um, <laughs> what? Um, there's a bunch of other characteristics here that you list in the course um, of, of white supremacy and of how um, people of color may be internalizing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering for you, you know, we've touched on a few pieces, but I'm wondering for you if there's anything in particular that like has felt the most difficult for you or like really challenging or maybe it's ongoing um, for for yourself of how you've internalized this? I think the white innocence, which we already touched on was like definitely the biggest Mm -hmm. one. Um, But also just things like, so I talk about the white default. um, This is just sort of this, this idea that like whiteness is the norm and it shows up in Mm -hmm. so many different ways. And I think that's 
always been something for me where it's like I I didn't have the language, but I yeah, I was just always like, okay, hold up. So <laughs> there's no band-aids that are my skin color. Like I remember when emojis came out, I was like, okay, the only thing that I can use that's my skin color is, you know, the poo sign. Like what what is going on here? Like there's just so many different ways that that we default whiteness. Um mm-hmm. And also, like, we internalize that, too, in, in the ways that we, like, a lot of times when it comes to, like, movies, we'll be like, oh, like, yeah. Viola Davis is, like, the Black version of, no, like, why are we comparing to whiteness? Like, this, mm-hmm. there's so many ways that we've been taught to internalize that. And so I think that's something for me where, especially, like, being in the design field where, like, folks are constantly creating products and experiences, mm-hmm. it's been really important for me to be able to not only unlearn that, but then also learn how to identify when it's happening um, and like try to put a stop to it because it's very harmful. Um, Mm -hmm. There are like a lot of sort of self-driving cars and things like that that are being made that are unable to detect black skin. So what does that mean if you're a black person crossing the street? And so the white default is something that is like, it's something that I think about a lot. Um, and I, mm-hmm. I think it shows up also in a lot of the shows we watch and, mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot there, especially when it comes to like desirability and like, what oh, is yes. the default of, of beauty? Mm-hmm. Um, and what is the, you know, who gets to be loved, right? Yeah. And and who's chosen? And I don't know. There's just a lot. There's a lot packed into that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that's something that that we need to talk about more um, yeah. because, well, we don't have to get into that. But I, I do have thoughts about a specific show. <laughs> but yeah, what show? You know what show I'm talking. About. Oh gosh! I mean, you can share. You can share. You can share. I mean, it's it's nothing that hasn't been said before. Yeah. Um, I'm but, sure I've said it on here too. <laughs> yeah, but I, I also just think sometimes, like, the attempts to, like, even just, like, I don't even know if this is the right way to say it, but it's, like, I think it's, it's in a harmful environment, actually, like, for um, BIPOC folks to be in because mm-hmm. it's still in a white default setting. And that's my issue with, like, diversity initiatives a lot of times it's like you're just bringing people into a harmful situation but like there's no real work to actually make sure it's equitable and inclusive Mm -hmm. like it's still just very harmful um Mm -hmm. and you're just like yeah so there's there's a lot there but there's still you see how like the white default is sort of um Mm -hmm. just sort of very pervasive in that space you also see how like people of color in that space also feel like they need to adhere to the white default in order to thrive. Um, And so there's a lot, I think just in general, when it comes to like media and like movies and films and shows that a lot of work Mm -hmm. that needs to be done because people are watching that, like little kids are watching that, teenagers are watching that. And, and that again feeds into like the internalization of like Mm -hmm. what is normal. Um, So, yeah. And I mean, in this concept of uh, what's normal, I think mm-hmm. I think this is where 
it gets it gets a little nuanced and i think people it's it's hard to digest but in that norm it's not just you know even if we're taking this specific show as an example it is a space of whiteness and that's not just because there's white people but that's also the heteronormativeness that's also the um, mm-hmm. able-bodiedness that's also the mm-hmm. uh you know the anti-fatness right like there's all these other right. isms that, that play a role cool. in yeah. white supremacy that I don't think is yeah like your your average definition of of white supremacy that people get right. So it's like, well, it's not about white people. It's about you know um, right. fatness or you know representation and uh, you know able uh, disabled bodies, right? But it's like within this concept of what's normal is whiteness but white supremacy has also determined all of these other isms absolutely yeah and and i think that's a conversation that people don't i just wish everyone sort of knew just like literally how pervasive white supremacy is and Mm -hmm. like especially when it comes to like um fat phobia like that's rooted in anti-blackness and i just yeah i wish yeah i think there's so much more work to be done to see like white supremacy is extremely strategic and extremely powerful um Mm -hmm. and it's impacting literally like every single area of your life whether you like it or whether you know it or not um and so being open to that conversation um is really important Mm -hmm. yeah and i think it's you know, as we talk about this, at least for Black, Indigenous, and other people of color, like, yes, it's important to acknowledge, oh, shit, this is happening right now to me or in my experience because of white supremacy, right? Absolutely acknowledge where trauma or harm or silencing, right, or any of that has taken place at the hands of this system of white supremacy and all its little branches. And also small baby steps forward of, Oh shit, this is where I did internalize that. And, you know, I'm overworking myself. I'm negatively comparing. I'm, uh, you know, internalizing the otherness in my head. I'm self-policing. I'm invalidating myself. Um, you know, I'm having imposter syndrome, which like is a huge, huge mm-hmm. thing I've struggled yeah. with. Um, and I'm currently struggling with today. <laughs> um, but it's, it's equally important to acknowledge it and how it impacts society and how it impacts you, but also, you know, what you can do to fight against it. And I think, I feel like that just has to be normalized because I think there's this conception that there's this assumption that, oh, well, you know, because this person is a person of color, um, you know, as a white person, maybe post 2020 summer, is this pressure of like, I need to do what I can to like make it better for, you know, this black person or for this Asian person. Um, and I think it's like, again, it's difficult to talk about because then it humanizes that person of color that, oh yeah, they may not have benefited from it like you have, but they can also, uh, perpetuate it. 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like it has to be normalized because then that is how we can kind of support one another and where, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think the lack of like, the fact that it's not normalized is is, is something that's causing a lot of harm, I think. Um, yeah, it increases that dehumanization. Right, exactly. And it also, there's like an interesting dynamic though, because it's like, as a person of color who um, internalizes and also perpetuates, there is oftentimes, um, and I talked about this like weaponization, but white mm-hmm. folks often just focus on how we're how we may perpetuate it, even though a lot of times we still don't have the enough power to actually like systemically harm. But yeah, anyway, it's conversation. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, there's a focus on like how we perpetuate it, but then even within that, a complete sort of like ignorance of the fact that we are being harmed by it. And and I think that is what to me sort of really highlights that dehumanization is like and also feeds into like white innocence. It's like all you do is do harm, but like you're unable to be harmed. Right. And and I think that's something that we really need to sort of have a conversation about. Um mm-hmm. and also just like I don't know that it's a white person's place who also just like hasn't done the work. And even if they have, like I don't know. The way that I've been seeing it weaponized to me is just like you're just trying to deflect and mm-hmm. you're just trying to like not do your own work. Like yes, this is extremely harmful and this is something that needs to be acknowledged and work needs to be done here. Um mm-hmm. but if you're just here to sort of plead your innocence, it's, I don't know that that's, mm-hmm. I don't know. It yeah. feels fishy. I think I'll just. <laughs> yeah. It feels like they're absolving themselves of having to do any of that work because yeah. see, even this black person or this Asian person or this Mexican person hasn't done right. it or they're doing harm. So yeah, like right. you need to check yourself while absolving right. themselves of anything. Um, right. And even, you know, reflecting on that, like, being weaponized, I think this, I mean, I've processed a lot throughout my early 20s, um, is how being a a mixed-race Black woman, I've, in the past, weaponized my privilege. I've used it to try to benefit myself, right? I've used it to falsely try to protect myself. Right. But Mm -hmm. that privilege was used for me and only me and as a weapon where now I use it like to fuck some shit up, (laughs) like in a different way. (laughs) Um, and you know, that I think also feeds into the duality, right. Of being the victimized violator where I'm kind of having this like light bulb a little bit, maybe not a full light bulb, but just connecting the dots here around what we're talking about with things like white civility. It's meant to abandon us. The centering of whiteness, the default of whiteness already is like, oh, well, that's not, that doesn't apply to me. 
because I'm not that. Right. And it's like, I've always said duality is really hard for people to digest, right? That like, it's really hard for us to hold opposites. It's really hard for us to hold both. But I think that is less true for the BIPOC community because we've had to navigate both those spaces. We've had to operate within a white default centered society Mm -hmm. and find our our wholeness and exist in our being. So it's like, we're not meant to be digestible in this sense of what is digestible in a white supremacist culture. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I like that you mentioned duality because, um, so Tema Okun, I don't know if you've seen, they have like, um, she wrote, um, something about like white supremacist culture. And one of the things in it is like white supremacist culture doesn't allow any space for either or thinking like Mm -hmm. there's nuance is not a thing. So either you are bad or either you are good or either you are right or either you are wrong or like there's Mm -hmm. no space for that. And I see that a lot. Um, just like this obsession with like objectivity, like it's just like this obsession with it. And it's just, it, I don't know. It's, it's really interesting how that in itself sort of leads to a lot of erasure um, Mm -hmm. in terms of like, what our full experiences actually look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even like whose stories are told in that, right? Yeah. I yeah. hard pressed to find mainstream, highly popular, large budgeted film or TV show where it's a woman of color who is able to exist in her duality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, be up in their damn arms over that shit. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. (sighs) It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, How do you, when navigating these conversations, when doing this kind of work, you know, creating the courses that you've done, how do you prioritize? self-care self-nourishment actually is what I like to call it now like care like care is the basic we have to care we have to like make sure we eat right but how are we nourishing ourselves I I would say like boundaries have saved my life um because (laughs) like boundaries and like also or yeah boundaries and intuition essentially Mm -hmm. because I feel like I feel like we all sort of know when we were when we're about to reach our limit or we or we know when Mm -hmm. like like sometimes people will email me for something like hey like can we you know (laughs) meet next week or whatever it is and like I have this immediate reaction of like I feel like I'm gonna be tired um Mm -hmm. in the past I would just be like yeah sure like let's do it and then like I would go and then I would come home and just feel really irritable and like have less time to pour into myself um but I've had to be like ruthless with my boundaries. And I think that has really helped me when it comes to like pouring into myself, because I don't think, especially this type of work, like it's not sustainable if we don't sustain ourselves. Um, And again, it's like, I, I can't 
dehumanize myself in the process of like helping people see their full humanity like that's just not it's that's not something that that's sustainable um and so Mm -hmm. I don't have specific routines I'm sort of like a flowy person and so there's different things that I do um but I love just like being in nature just like frolicking in nature like being around plants um I love that you said frolicking that's what I used to I'm like I just need to frolic through a field right (laughs) let me live that's literally, yeah, like, that's my, that's my vibe. I love that. Um, I love reading and journaling and just, like, mm-hmm. watching interior design shows and, like, just mm-hmm. things that, that make me, make me feel good. Um, and just, like, watching a bunch of cat videos, like, whatever it is, like, <laughs> I... <make> friends! Right! <laughs> I feel like, we're internet friends, and I'm like, you're listening to all these things up, I'm like, hey! <laughs> yeah, no, for real, like, I just, I don't, mm-hmm. yeah, I just... I'm, I have had to be just super ruthless about like trying to carve out time for the things that Mm -hmm. make me feel like me in a world that doesn't want me to feel like me. Um, and so it's been hard and like, it's still a learning process. I feel like boundaries are just like really hard to like grasp, like, um, in all areas of our lives. Um, but that's something like I would say, especially like, I think. I like started to do boundary work. And then last year um, there was like an influx of people sort of like interacting with the work that I was doing. And then I had yeah. to like speed up that boundary work process. Cause I was like, this is a lot. So I just needed yeah. to like, <laughs> um, and I think yeah. that's something that is, that has really helped me um, in addition to just like spending time with community, spending time with people who are affirming um, mm-hmm. And I think those are, are things that are like really nourishing to me. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The boundary setting. I mean, that's going against the overworking that's dismantling the, you know, white extraction and even the power hoarding, right. Um, Right. Being able to set those boundaries. Um, Yeah. yeah. Just like following your own body's clock. Mm-hmm. everyone's body's clock is different and some people like maybe they I don't know that anyone is naturally go 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 like I feel like we've been conditioned to do that but mm-hmm. if we are able because I know not everyone is able to like I, I think it is important to to try to slow down where we can mm-hmm. yeah when you said you know you mentioned our bodies and I just want to note here again the course was fantastic uh, mm-hmm. but I love even just the title, making the body at yeah. home, because so yeah. much of this we do hold in our bodies. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's something for me where, especially with the, um, the beyond beauty, like the white beauty standards course, I mm-hmm. was really intentional about trying to make that, um, and just making the body at home in general, like trying to make it more of an embodied experience. So it's like, not just like reading something like you're listening to an audio meditation or you're watching an, a, a meditation video or, or you're journaling um, just like different modes of learning that speak yeah. to people's bodies in different ways. Cause I think again, like internalization isn't just in the mind, like mm-hmm. it is in the body and how are we, how are we holding that in our body? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's really beautiful. I'm, I'm really sort of, I feel a lot of, I don't 
don't know, just warmth in my heart. Um, mm-hmm. When I see that people are taking the course and, and they're finding it, you know, helpful or empowering mm-hmm. for them um, because yeah, it really helped me. And I'm just like, this needs to just be, there needs to be something like this out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. Well, I'm so glad that you put it out there. Um, can you share a little <laughs> bit about like where people can find you, where people can find the course um, and anything else maybe that you have upcoming? Yeah. So making the body a home, you just go, just go on um, making the body a home is on Instagram. Um, and yeah, there's several different courses that you can take. And I think that they're really helpful. So I encourage people to take it if they can. Um, I also have a scholarship sort of like application. So if you need a scholarship, like you can apply to that. Um, it's like dependent on funding, but like sometimes mm-hmm. funding does come in and then I'm able to sort of like let lots of folks in. So mm-hmm. that's definitely something to look into. How um, are you receiving funding? Are people able to donate to the scholarship fund? So the last scholarship fund that I had was um, like I did a partnership with a brand, but mm-hmm. when I first launched Making the Body a Home, just through Instagram, I was like, if you want to donate to like help person of color take this course, like just Venmo me and like put the title and like I'll um, ensure that the course gets to like whoever's on the scholarship list. So mm-hmm. yeah, if you're listening to this and you want to sort of donate to this fund, um, you can definitely check out Making Body Home or um, my personal Instagram, which is Ogorchuku. So that's O-G-O-R-C-H-U-K-A-W and then two U's. Um, and just go from there. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing, like not only, you know, your personal experiences here, but, you know, also just all of this material that like is crucial. Like this is yeah. all the shit that we should have been learning in school, but then right. again, our schools are like mm-hmm. a, a part of the system. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much for everything here today. This is fantastic having you on. Mm-hmm. You. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciated having this conversation um, and we should definitely chat more. <laughs> yes, definitely. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you so much for making it all the way through and keeping your ears, your hearts, and your minds open. It would mean so much to me if you could take a second or two after listening to this episode to leave a review on iTunes and let me know what you're enjoying about the show. I love reading you know, what your favorite episodes are, where you guys listen, um, and definitely feel free to share this with a friend. I mean, part of how we break down the stigmas around these topics is by talking about them, right? And, and sharing them with more people. So definitely share the podcast. Um, and again, really wanting to include all of you in this podcast. So if you have questions or you want to share a thought or an experience, please send in a voice memo to ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. And I'm really excited to keep having these conversations and uh, breaking down these stigmas. So thank you all so, so, so much. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and I'll talk to you next time. Thank you.